0: encourage you. We are going to bounce around a little bit this morning, but to kind of get started, if you would turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter 1, and if you're using the pew Bible or the Bible under the chair, you can just turn to page 1, and you'll literally be where we're going to start. We're not going to stay there, but at least we're going to start there. Um, Because of my dad's death, uh, the last two weeks has been sort of filled for me with memories just kind of popping up and filling my mind it's amazing how someone will say something and all of a sudden I'm remembering something my dad said or something we did and that probably was added layers to it because just recently my oldest brother had had my mom take all the old 8 millimeter family movies, and some of you know what that is, and got them all converted onto DVD and then had all the videos my dad shot with one of those enormous cameras and had those put onto DVD, and so those were playing in the house, and my kids were having fun looking at me. If you repeat some of those stories, you're in trouble. (laughs) So I I guess I'm not going to repeat them either, but there are some things. If you wonder why I have some idiosyncrasies, it's my parents' fault. That's all. We'll just leave it at that. But we've been kind of, and that's really part of the grieving process. You, you play with a lot of memories. A lot of memories impact you and mark you, and that's just sort of been a, a big part of the last two weeks. And so it maybe isn't in one sense surprising that when I sat down to try to prepare for today and, and kind of looking forward to next week, today and, and next Sunday, we're just doing this short two-week series related to work. And so as I sat down to, to kind of prepare all of a sudden these memories of the economy and work life here in Sioux City just kind of started to kind of flow through my mind in the nine years that we've lived here. And it kind of struck me that when our family arrived here nine years ago, the economy wasn't particularly in the greatest condition both across our country and and even here in our sort of our portion of it, our region. And as time went on, the, the first couple of years, really that didn't improve at all. It was either, and I, I, because I was preparing this message 1,300 miles away, I didn't have access to it, but um, it was either in February of 2010 or February of 2011, we here at Central, and it came with, I guess, my name on it, but it was a letter to Central uh, from the mayor of Sioux City asking us as a church which we did in a central prayer. We're going to have a central prayer next Sunday at 9 a.m. Sorry, free commercial there. I had to throw that in. But we prayed for the economic well-being, the economy and jobs and all of those kinds of things here in Siouxland. The, the mayor literally asking churches to pray. If the mayor is asking us to pray, it's probably not good. Now, a lot's changed in either seven years or six years since then. Our economy in our area is doing much better. Economy across the country is doing much better. And so you begin to ask the question, things must be good, right? I mean, work and all of that, that must be good. Unemployment's down and all those kinds of good things. This must be a good thing. Well, the Gallup organization decided back in early 2017 to kind of do a study to kind of see. So they studied the American workplace to kind of see how are things going. And I had the opportunity, I think it was back in late March, to kind of read an article about their report, about the conclusion of their study. And to be honest, I found it somewhat eye-opening and also very concerning What they found, and and they rounded the numbers a little bit in the article, but there are approximately 100 million people in the United States that work full-time, okay, that have a full-time job, and that's really what they were studying, those 100 million people. And what they found of that 100 million people is that 51%, so 51 million of those people are not really engaged at work. So more than half the workforce show up, but they have really no connection to their jobs, and and basically they are doing the bare minimum to get by. They're just barely doing the least amount they have to do, I guess, to keep their job. I don't think that's great, but it gets a little worse. See, there's another 16% or 16 million people who have a full-time job who show up at work and they are described by the results of this study as actively disengaged. They go to work, but they resent. This. These are words from the study. They resent their jobs. The lead researcher on the study said that this 16% feel negative about work in the workplace, and they actually do more harm than good when they come to work. I don't know about you, but that's a little unsettling. Now late on Friday night when we landed in Omaha and had to go pay for our parking, I think the person that was working in the parking booth was one of those 16%. <laughs> I, I'm serious. I mean, wouldn't you, I, It was like they handed me the credit card thing to sign the credit card, and they didn't give me a pen. And so we're like frantically looking in the car for a pen. And then they kind of went... but they couldn't wait for, and I don't have a long name. It's not very long to sign Lloyd W. Grant. They couldn't even wait. They were back on their phone talking again. Okay, that's not good. Now, think about this. That's two-thirds of the workforce. That's 67% of the people that work full-time are either doing the bare minimum or they are totally disengaged, actively disengaged. And when you consider the fact that for the vast majority of us, 40% of the total hours of our lives, 40% of the hours of our lives are going to be spent working, this could be an issue. Not only that, but it's kind of like our experience on Friday night, late Friday night. All of us, it doesn't matter what age you are, whether you're very young or you're very experienced at life, you're going to have to interact with those people you're going to have to deal with those people. All of a sudden, this becomes an issue, and can kind you of ask yourself the question, how do we deal with this? So really, that's partly why for the next, this Sunday, next Sunday, we want to talk about, in this Labor Day season, about work and trying to understand, what does the Bible say about work? Because, let's be honest, if there's 67% of people that work full-time and I'm not going to have us do a survey, but we'll just say this, 67%. So that means, folks... You guys will be the good folks, okay? That means only two sections in this room, if you represent full-time workers, you're like, work's a good thing. The rest of you, it's not a pretty picture. But I don't think that's what God wants for us. Now, to start this talking about work, what we really want to talk about today is how should we approach work? How should we approach it? Now, before we do that, I do want to do a quick aside for a minute. One of our major prayers as a church is that the ministry of Central is gonna lead every person that is a part of Central, okay, to become more like the Lord Jesus in in our characters, in our convictions, and and in our conduct. A short way to say that is is we wanna be used by God. We wanna be partnering with God so that spiritual formation really is happening. Now, to connect that, that aside, back to, to work, what we're talking about this morning is it's very easy for us to kind of think about church and that kind of stuff, Is it, that's spiritual stuff. So I've got sort of my spiritual compartment of life, and then I've got this other compartment of life that's work, and we don't necessarily see that the two connect together. But folks, I honestly believe they really do. You see, spiritual formation is not about you knowing how to come in on a Sunday morning and where to sit and how to carry your Bible and all of those kinds of things. Spiritual formation is about the whole, your whole life, about all of your life, about all of my life being what God intends it to be, including the work part of my life. So whether you are in school or whether you work, or whatever the responsibilities that God has in your life. And let's just say you're in that two-thirds. I want you to understand today that God is concerned about you. He's concerned about your work life, your responsibility life. And He's concerned about what's going on in your soul. So really, when we talk about spiritual formation and our lives being transformed, it's gonna impact that 40, how you spend 40% of your lifetime hours plus all the time before that and the time after that. God's concerned about what's going on in our lives even when it comes to work. So really, part of the question today isn't just how should I approach work, it's maybe how should I approach work in a way that's pleasing to God, but also how do I approach work Connected to that, how do I approach work in a way so that it's good for my soul, so that I don't resent it and hate it and wish I was doing something else all the time? Three big ideas to kind of, how should we approach work? Three ideas that I pray will have a shaping influence in our lives. Big idea number one is that work is good. One thing that should really mark us right out of the chute, so to speak, is work is good. One of the things that I think I realized a little bit because of being back in Calgary and being back sort of where I grew up, my home and native land, to quote the Canadian National Anthem. It's in, Just a quick aside. We have not lived in Canada for almost 28 years. And when I went through customs, Canadian customs, customs Canada as they would call it, it was the first time ever I'd been welcomed home. Because on my U.S. passport, I am a U.S. citizen, but on my U.S. passport, it shows I was born in Canada. First time ever I've been welcomed home. You want to talk about making a guy cry in the airport? That's not fair. (laughs) Because then they ask you, well, why are you back? Well, I realized a lot of things have influenced my life in a city that some of you have never been to, a city that I grew up in. I'm I'm marked by it, influenced by it. Some of those influences were good things. Some of those influences were probably bad. And one of the things about the influences of life is something can influence us in a bad way and us not even know it. And that's a scary thing. We're just kind of in it and so we don't necessarily know the difference. As I was trying to work on the message today, kind of not, I didn't work on it today, but I mean preparing for it today. Uh, I, trust me, I'm so much a preparation freak. I kind of joked at my dad's funeral, there's a reason he gave me ten and a half years to be ready for his funeral so I would actually be prepared. Um, but there's a lot of things that shape us and, and a lot of things that I went do to prepare. So as I was preparing, one of the things that struck me as I was reading things related to the history of work and how people viewed work and understood work, I found out that it's not just Americans in 2017 that struggle with work. Throughout history, people have had some ideas and some challenges that have said, hey, they're not sure we want to look at work a certain way. We we struggle with how to approach it. The ancient Greeks was one place that I read some things that I found interesting. In, In ancient Greek thought, the philosophy of the day was the Greeks thought that the gods, plural gods, made people for work. But that work was not a good thing. Rather, it was a demeaning thing. So they were made to work, people were made to work, but it was a demeaning thing. In Greek thought, in this Greek philosophy, they, they viewed work as a curse and nothing else. Aristotle, who might be a name that most of us have at least heard, said some things. He said unemployment, and he defined unemployment as the ability to live without having to work. So, you figured out some way that someone can look after your needs. You don't have to work. He said, he said unemployment was the primary qualification for a genuinely worthwhile life. That's how life flows. You just be unemployed and it's great. Now, I'll be honest. I'm going to guess, and I think if we took a survey, Today across the room, there's probably very few of us that read Greek philosophy this week. There might be some, but it's probably not something we take a lot of time to read. I don't know if, for example, the person that helped us in the parking booth was reading Greek philosophy. I'm going to go out on a ledge and say probably not. But boy, we've bought into that mindset. That mindset has marked a lot of things throughout life for a lot of us. And I'll be honest, this idea of not having to work, I mean, there's a pastor named Rick Warren, and he made the observation. He said if he went to work the times he wanted to go to work, he'd only show up about half the time. And that's probably true, right? I mean, I'll be honest. Our alarm tomorrow morning is going to go off at 5 a.m. Now, in August, that's one thing but in January when the alarm goes off at 5 a.m. and it's cold in the house, I would, you know, I'd much rather stay under the covers and just wait till the house warms up, like when it gets to be May. (laughs) So I understand, that sounds good, and it's easy to kind of, oh, I want to buy into that, I want to buy, but is that how we should view work? I want to suggest to you, God offers us a very different way of how we should view work. Now, let me be clear. We live in a fallen world. And because of that, all of life, including work, has been impacted by sin. But just because the Greek philosopher said work is demeaning, please don't understand that it's not necessarily true. In fact, God would say work is not demeaning to you as a person. In fact, I think God would say that work really isn't about demeaning. It's about dignity. Work doesn't make you demeaned. Work is a way in which your dignity as a person is expressed. Work is good. God designed us, and God designed work for good, to be good. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, we have looked at this verse a number of times. If you are new to Central, maybe you have started coming in the month of August, you've never heard me speak, just well, you know, you're gonna, if you hang around here, we're going to go to this verse a few times. So those of you that have been here a long time are like, uh, oh, didn't have much time to prepare this week, I see. Back to that verse again. Yes, back to that verse again, and here's why. I don't think you and I are going to understand life. I don't think you and I are going to understand how God designed life, how God designed us, unless we understand this verse. Even more, the reality of this verse and its truth really tells us in part why is it so critical that the Lord Jesus came and died and rose again? Why is it that he calls us as followers of Christ to do certain things? Why is it that the Holy Spirit comes into the lives of people who have turned from sin to God and trust the Lord Jesus as their Savior? This verse kind of hints at this is what we're supposed to be. So if you want to understand some things about life, here it is. Now I want to zoom in on this verse and really just kind of three thoughts from this verse related to work that I think are significant. So we're going to come back here again, but it's that critical. We're not going to get it if we don't understand this. But thought number one, what about this verse? Understand that phrase, the image of God. The image of God means you and I were created to be in a relationship with God. That is a huge thing to understand about life. You and I were meant, we were designed to be with Him, to be in relationship with Him. Thought number two connected to that is the image of God also means that through being in relationship with God, we are created to carry out responsibilities. Okay, look at the verse again. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and then what does He do? He gives us responsibility. He has things for us to do. Part of the reason you and I were created, the Greeks had this right, God created us to work, but not to demean us. See, the third thought that really flows out of this, if you were to read, again, ancient documents of of ancient Babylonia and ancient Egypt and those kinds of places, you would understand that the idea of the phrase the image of God was often used and applied to kings. That a king of a country, Pharaoh, would be understood as the image of God. So when this verse says that you and I were created in the image of God, it's not demeaning us, it is a declaration by God saying, I created you for a relationship with responsibilities. And in my eyes, God says, you're royalty. And part of the expression of your royalty is not standing with your hand out hoping someone will kiss your ring. You display your royalty. Your dignity is expressed when you work. Work was designed by God. It is a good thing. We need to understand that. See, the truth is when you and I work, what we're really doing is we're furthering the work of God. Flip over just a page in your Bible to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 8. Verse 8 says, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Okay, verse 7, God had just made Adam. And the story, the next scene of the story is God taking, is God planting a garden, Adam's there. Verse 15, the story continues. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Okay, verse 8, God starts the work. He plans the garden. Verse 15, he gives the responsibility of the garden to Adam. Okay, now that's really simple to see. But there's two things in verse 15 I want you to notice. One is going to sound really obvious. You want to write this down, okay? Working in the garden is work. Do you need me to say that again? Working in the garden is work. doesn't sound particularly spiritual and realize there were no weeds at this point, okay? The fall hadn't happened, so there was no screaming and yelling at the weeds. That's not going on yet. So he's working. Second thing I want you to notice: I want you to look at the very end of the verse to the words "work" and "keep." Those same Hebrew words are going to be used again in the book of Leviticus and in the book of Numbers and in the book of Deuteronomy to describe the actions of priests and Levites, priests and Levites who were doing work that God had given them to do. Here's the thing. God gives us work, things he was doing, and he asks us to further it. See, work is a gift from God to us to further his work. He had started the garden, and he said, I want you to take it, and I want you to do things with it. I want you to bring dominion. I want you to make this happen. Now, please don't miss the implications of that. Some of you are students and school has just started. Part of the reason why God has you in school is for you to learn skills and abilities. Some aren't always as clear and direct as we want them to be. How many kids have complained in a math class? How does me knowing Pythagorean the Pythagoreum's theorem? I can't even say it. How's that gonna help me in life? We always think, but there's things we're learning. Why? Because God's, in part, getting you ready for th- other things. If you work in an office, one of the things, be- with all the things related to my dad's death and all the things that creates in terms of dealing with issues of estate and all of those kinds of things, is as a family, we've had to deal with a lot of people just doing paperwork. And sometimes you can say, well, I just have a job where I just push paper. Do you realize that if you have that kind of a job, you bring order out of chaos. You want a definition of what exercising dominion is? It's taking chaos and bringing order. You are furthering the work of God. If you are in a service or, or helping career, if that's kind of what you do, you are directly helping people so they can then go do good. That's a huge thing. Big thing that should shape us when I think about work is that work is good. Second big idea, second thing that should shape us in terms of work and dealing with it is we need to work to please God. Okay, we need to work to please God. If you want to flip, we won't get to the verses right away, but if you want to flip to Colossians chapter 3, and if you're using that, that, that black Bible, it's on page 984. I want to back up a minute just to that Gallup study again. Because we probably need to mention, why is it that the numbers were so harsh? Why is it that so many people are turned off of work, either at a bare, at a minimal level, or like actively disengaged? Why is that? Well, probably because money is something that is a big part of our lives. It impacts us. It touches us. It a part of life the first place they kind of went to find is money the issue because if you've read sort of studies if you've looked at what's happening in in the workplace you'd realize that in the last you know from 2008 2007 forward sort of the last decade uh, against inflation and all of those kinds of things salaries across the board haven't necessarily risen very much And so you've got people that are working hard and in some cases claims of people working harder than ever but nobody's making any more money. It's like, well, that must be why people are turned off work because they're not making more money. So they kind of did however they do these correlations and all of that and they went, that's not the issue at all. That wasn't really a concern. I mean, not a huge concern, not one that explained the 67%. So what is it? Here's the reason, according to their research, the big reason why people are unhappy at work is the bosses. Their boss is the problem. Now, as one who has supervisory responsibilities, I didn't necessarily want to read that. So if I have dysfunctioning employees and disgruntled employees, disengaged employees, it could be me. I don't want that responsibility, but that's what it looks like. Now, let's be honest. Most bosses are ill-equipped to manage people and all of their idiosyncrasies that they bring to the workplace. That, that's very true. Partly because they said in the article, who becomes a boss? Well, someone that does their job really well becomes a boss. Just because, in my dad's case, you can crunch numbers in an amazing way, doesn't mean you know how to deal with people. And my dad would say, one of his great frustrations in life was when they made him over a whole lot of people. That was a challenge. Even though he was very successful in some ways, that was really hard. It is hard to manage people. I mean, think about it. You, you, we live in a fallen world, and you take not very good bosses with employees that aren't necessarily any better than the boss. And you've got a combination of it's not necessarily going to go particularly well. So how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the fact that work's harder and part of the problem is my boss? Well, the chief researcher suggested that what seems to impact an employee feeling engaged or not engaged at work, that the big factor on their engagement was the behavior of their bosses. So if you have a boss that has what I guess you'd call good behavior, that helps you be engaged. But if you have a boss who has bad behavior, you're disengaged. Maybe he, he or she treats you poorly and so you get disengaged. You're not really there. So if you look at that and you go, well, hey, here's what I needs to happen. I just need a boss who behaves well. I just need a good boss who has good behavior all the time and it'll go well. Well, that sounds good. Except we've probably all heard the expression, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. So you go out and you get a new job. Only to find out that your new boss really isn't that great anyhow. I'm just including this in the message so that no one on staff resigns this week. That's what I'm really doing. Because if you think I'm bad, just wait till the next person. You know, I mean... I was gone for a week. I was probably a really good boss this week because I wasn't here. So what do you do? Well, I don't think it's wrong to want a new boss. But the new boss you're looking for needs to be someone who always is faithful. Well, who would that be? Instead of looking for a new human boss, maybe what you and I really need to do is we need to understand we need to work for God. Now, when I say we work for God, when we look for Him, there's sort of two chunks of that I want to unpack. Okay, first thing would be this. Instead of being controlled by your boss's behavior, that seems to be what impacts a lot of people. Instead of being controlled by your boss's behavior, be controlled or shaped or guided by the Lord Jesus. Look with me at Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now the idea of the verse is really pretty straightforward. Our lives, if we've trusted Christ, should be governed by the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. Now let me unpack, what does that mean? Well, if you were to flip back, and I, I don't have the verses on the screen, but if you want to flip back to earlier in the book of Colossians, to Colossians chapter one, verse 12, verse 13, verse 14, you would kind of see that because of the work of God, okay, God does some things. God takes people who repent of their sin and trust the Lord Jesus as their Savior. God takes them from being in the domain, and I we'll won't go stand way over here for effect. people from, the domain of darkness, and God literally, by God's hand, picks them up and he transfers them into the kingdom of his beloved son. Okay, if you've trusted Christ, you have a new authority, you have a new boss. Now, one way we express that, one way we communicate that is when we do a baptism. When someone trusts Christ and then after they've trusted Christ, they are baptized. And if you show up, you know, you go to a baptismal service, you'll hear us say, and we now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, why do we say those words? Well, we say those words because the Bible says them. Why does the Bible say them in Matthew 28? Why does it say them? Well, the expression in the name of means to be under the authority of. So when I get baptized, when I was baptized on January the 26th, 1982, I was making a declaration publicly that I want my life to be under the authority of God, that I want Him to be the one over me. He's my authority. Now to connect that back to work, part of what I think that means, folks, is that the one who should have the biggest influence in our lives is the Lord Jesus, not our boss. That doesn't mean I ignore or totally disregard my boss. Please do not hear me saying that, Mike. Just because he's right there, I can, you know. Don't disregard. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, I need to look to the Lord Jesus and His values to inform how I work. Instead of looking for something from my boss and being dependent upon that, I'm going to be dependent upon the Lord Jesus. So instead of getting trapped in my boss's weaknesses, I need to lean on the integrity and on the strength of the Lord Jesus. Now, practically, what does that mean? Practically, I think what that means, folks, is if you want to do a better job at work, if you want work to not be a negative, I think you and I need to know the Bible better so we can understand more about the character of God, understand more about how He works and moves. See, when we say we want to be a church that really lives out that we trust the Bible, that's a part of it in our work lives, knowing this so I'm prepared to go to work. Practically related to that, also, as I think folks, we're going to need to pray. We're going to need to pray and seek the wisdom of God in our workplace. God, how do I do this? God, help me. Whatever it is you're doing. Okay, that's a part of what it means to work for God. Second thing of what it means to work for God is human affirmation is a good thing. Okay, it really is. When your 93-year-old aunt comes up to you and says, Lloyd, that was the best funeral I've ever been at. Man, I could live on that for a while. And she doesn't have dementia, so, you know, you're not thinking she doesn't remember any others. Wanted to make that clear. Just thought I better put that out there. Human affirmation's good. I don't ever want to downplay it. But here's the thing. We can't be motivated by that affirmation. I think we need to be motivated by the fact that God has placed us to serve him. Okay, look at Colossians chapter three, verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, and he's writing to slaves at this point, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that the Lord, that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. To know and experience that work in a is good in a fallen world with bad bosses, what you need to know is you need to know who you work for and why you work. If you work for God, and you work for his reward, I think the Apostle Paul is saying work can be good. But if you work for your boss, and you're waiting for his or her affirmation, or you're working for your paycheck, you know what? Work might be hollow, or it might be worse. How can I work in a way that's good for my soul, in a way that pleases God? Folks, we need to be shaped by the fact that work is good. We also need to get to the point where we work for God. And then the third thing, the third big idea would be is we need to look at work as work is a way to produce good. Work, whatever you do, do it to produce good. If you want to turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 29, and if you're using the Black Bible, it's on page 656. I want to ask you a question when you think about your job. Think about your responsibilities. Maybe it's in school or you're retired and you're volunteering, whatever it is. Your responsibilities. Okay, here's the question. What should you try to accomplish? When you're doing whatever it is you're doing, what should you try to accomplish? Jeremiah 29, verses 4 to 7. Thus says the Lord Of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Okay, put it in context. People that were in the promised land, the place you would want to be, they've been shipped away. They are not in a good place. They are literally in exile. What are you supposed to do in that context? Well, There's a lot in those verses about how we should live as people, so to speak, in exile. This is not our final home. And I'd, I'd encourage you to ponder this. But what I want to do right now is just kind of zoom in on verse 7. God is calling us. He's saying, here's what I want you to do. He's telling us to pray for this, to, to be engaged in this. Seek the welfare of God others be concerned about the people around you though the words aren't directly used seeking welfare is going to sound very very similar to loving your neighbor as yourself folks i understand that dr- that work can be a drudgery at times i used to pick rocks literally i was paid i spent a summer picking rocks at the calgary airport You want to talk about fun work. Ooh, there's a big one. Let's go get it, guys. It can be a drudgery. But even though that is true, work can always be about loving a neighbor. For those of you that work in construction or those kinds of things, maybe you're doing good because you're helping someone by renovating their bathroom, making it usable for them at a stage of life or something. Maybe you work in the financial world and and you're helping someone plan their retirement so that when they're no longer able to work that their needs are cared for. Or maybe you're teaching a child how to read or how to do a math problem. All of those actions really are about loving another person, about seeking their good, about contributing in some way. Now, folks, I would never want to suggest that if you do that, that that means work's going to be perfect or it's going to be easy. But it does mean you're going to be helping another person. According to Martin Luther, the early Protestant reformer, even though we're in a fallen world where people may be disengaged at work, he said that you can have a feeling or a sense of fulfillment if you would understand that your work is a calling from God to love your neighbor. Whatever it is you do, your work is this calling to do this good thing, to bring good to others, to express and touch their lives. Let me wrap this up. How will work go this week? How our work life goes is impacted by a lot of things. It's impacted by our bosses. It's it's impacted by the clients, the people we're dealing with. It's impacted by machinery breaking down or a delivery coming late. It can be impacted because we didn't get enough sleep the night before, or it's impacted by the fact that people we're working with are actively disengaged. Okay, work can be a struggle. On the other hand, work can be a thing where we're bringing good to others because work is good. So on one hand, work can be a grind and be a very difficult thing. On the other hand, work can be good. The major difference for us between is it a grind or is it good is really about our approach to work. So how are you going to approach work this Are you going to see it as a good thing? Are you going to see it as a way you can bring the goodness of God that He's brought into your life and share it with others? And maybe the biggest question of all to ask is who are you going to work for this week? Who are you going to work for this week? Would you pray with me? Father, You are the one that created us. And you created us in unique and wonderful ways. And when we look in the mirror, I pray that we would see your fingerprints all over us. And part of the way you created was for us to do things, to bring good to others. Some of that, for a chunk of us, that probably means a full-time job. For some, maybe it's part-time work. For some, we're kind of getting started and maybe it means going to school. For others, it may mean that we've retired and there's other responsibilities, but Lord, all of us have those. Father, we live in a world where work has been impacted so much by sin and we need something better. Lord, better doesn't mean we win the Powerball lottery and never work again. Better means we approach work the way you call us to. We approach work in a way that aligns with what you created us to be and really what you're transforming us to become. Lord, I thank you that through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, the literal hinge of history, everything has changed, even our work lives. And I pray that as we embrace you as our boss, work really could be different, that we could see it as good, and we could be bringing good to others. Father, thank You for Your concern about each part of our lives. In the very precious and powerful name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.